0: Uh, My wife and I have been attending this church, like Aaron said, for almost uh, nine years now. And we love being partners at this church. We love attending this church for a few reasons. One is is Aaron. And this wasn't like plan where he like talks about me and then I talk about right back at him. But you always wonder if your pastor is the same off the stage as he is on the stage. And I will say with 100% confidence, Aaron is that. The same guy that you see up here is the same guy that you see off, and that's what I love about our pastor. And I get to speak to a lot of pastors, you know, all over the county, and there's not one that doesn't have esteem for Aaron. They all talk like Aaron is is one of the best people we have in this community, and so thankful that we get to have that we get to be led under the leadership of of Aaron. That wasn't planned. Um, Second was to say, I would say, I, I love our 242 group. If you're not involved with a 242 group, you got to be involved with one. We love our 242 group. Uh, that's what's kept us connected here. Um, we, we call ourselves that we're not church friends. We're friends. Um, I feel like there's that compartmentalized thing. It's like, we're friends and we love that. And so um, the third thing is what Aaron said earlier. I, before I came to this church, I drove a lawnmower once in my life. And I started attending here, and they said, here's the keys to a zero-turn lawnmower. Go and mow our grass. And uh, I, it's, one of, you know, it's one of my favorite things that I get to do, uh, volunteering here at the church. It is so fun. If, if you're thinking, how do I volunteer at this church? Join the mowing team. It's pretty fun. Um, you don't have to have any experience. Trust me. No experience. Um, that was me. The first time I did it, I mean, it was like this. It was bad. I was like, do I need to pay the church now to have it professionally done? Does Jason need to come back? But we moved moved here in 2013 to start Young Life. We moved from Sparta, Tennessee. And uh, the mission of Young Life, our mission statement is introducing adolescents to Jesus Christ and helping them grow in their faith. We build relationships with lost and disinterested kids who've kind of put an arm to the church for one reason or another. And we build those friendships, those relationships by showing up on their turf and in their world and hanging out with them, building a friendship. Uh, We do this because we want to earn the right to be heard or have a hearing in their life. And because you guys probably know this, but people don't care what you know until they know that you care. And so hopefully, on most days, you'll find me, you'll find other Young Life and Wildlife leaders at a game or a practice or at Sonic in a coffee shop, sitting and building friendships with high school and middle school kids. And I was that, I was that crazy kid back in high school, and I needed a Young Life leader. Uh, so that uh, we we do this so that we can tell them the greatest story ever told and then it comes from a friend. So I deal a lot with high schoolers. I love it. I've done it now for 14 years. Love it. And I don't know what else I do. And we have a season coming upon us right now, a very serious season in the high school world, the promposal season, (laughs) very serious season. If you don't know what a promposal is, um, it's a serious time. So back in the day you would go up, uh, if you liked a girl, if you're a guy, you would go up to a girl and you would say, hey, would you go to prom with me? And they would say yes or no, pretty simple, right? Well, we're in the internet age now, the, the social media phase. And so we have to do things, we have to elaborate on things, to be able to ask that person that we like to go to prom with us. You know, I saw, I saw one uh, last year, maybe a couple years ago, this guy bought this huge bear and brought it to the girl had a poster sign and said, it would be unbearable to not go to prom with you. It's like, that girl should have said no. That, <laughs> that girl should have said no. Uh, but no, it's the season of promposals. And I have a confession to make. I promposed back in the day. I'm a promposer. That's what I am. Back in 2004, I promposed to a girl. Uh, you know, I liked her. She was, she was a friend. And I went and asked her friend. I said, hey, I, you know, we're just friends. Do you think your friend would want to go to prom with me? You know, we're, we're really good friends. She said, Daniel, of course. Sorry, Becker, of course she would say yes you have to ask her. So I got this plan together and with her friend, and I think her friend asked her parents, I went to her room when she wasn't home, put candles all around the room, fire hazard, put, uh, put flowers on the bed, put a poster board on it, said prom question mark, wrote this really sweet note on the back, and at the end I said, hey, give me a call. Tell me what you think. So I leave and I go home and it's like nine o'clock and I'm waiting by the phone. This is like when people still called each other. Um, it's like 10 o'clock and I'm waiting by the phone, 10.30, it's Sunday night, I gotta go to school the next morning. So I was like, all right, I just gotta call her. I'm gonna see, you know, what the deal is. So I call her, I said, hey, what's going on? She's like, oh my, Daniel. Sorry, Becker. Becker, I, this is the nicest thing anybody's ever done. I was so surprised. Thank you so much. And so like, I'm waiting for like the, I'd love to go to prom with you thing. The reason why I asked. And she's just, she's just going on how much she, and I was like, so wh- what do you think? Are we, we gonna go together or what? And she, the, the words, the, the next words came out of your mouth, you know how this is going. She goes, well, and I was like, oh no. <laughs> so here's the deal. Paige is a senior, I'm a junior. She's kind of talking to this sophomore. And at the time I'm like, okay, well I should get priority. Like I'm, I'm the junior, you should probably go to him. He's got, he's got three years. You should probably go with me. But I was like, hey, just talk to him, see what he thinks. And then let's talk about it before our first period tomorrow. First period tomorrow. Cause we have first period together. So I like overslept my alarm. Didn't get there until like right at when the class was starting. We go into the class and there's a writing prompt on the board. Our teacher did this, you know, every day there's a writing prompt. You write something down. So the, the writing prompt was, hey, what's something that happened to you this weekend or something special that happened to you this weekend? You know, I, I can't remember what I put, but she put, I got asked to prom. So her teacher is the softball coach she plays softball so she's reading through them going through them and every now and again she pick one out and read them out to the class. So she looks through them and she goes oh, you got asked to prom in front of the whole class. I don't know what she has decided yet. I'm still like I I'm in the I, I'm just like here just going I don't know what's I don't know what, if she said yes or no. And so the teacher goes, "Well, what did you say?" And you ask that question going I I think I know what you said. If you put this on your prompt, of course you would say yes. So she's asking her, thinking she said yes. Again, I am in my seat not knowing what her decision is. And in front of the entire first period class, she said no. And I don't, like, I'm a bigger guy. I couldn't shrink small enough (laughs) under my seat. It was... One of the most embarrassing feelings I've ever had in my entire life. And I wish I had somebody that was like waving, going, don't do it. Ask somebody else. Morning, something. I wish I, I you know, I had somebody saying, this is a good idea. I wish I would have had someone waving, saying "Warning!" And the passage that I was reading from, that I want to read from this morning Kind of waving his head, the apostle John, warning the early church, kind of waving his hands saying, stop, listen to me real quick. Listen, I got to tell you something. And so I want to pick up in first John chapter two, verse 18, and we're going to go through 25. And John is writing this out of an abundance of care. He's writing about this because he cares for these people. And so I want to read in 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. It says, children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have now come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us for if they'd been of, been of us they would have continued with us but they went out that it might become plain that they were all are, are not of us but you have been anointed by the holy one and you all have knowledge i write to you not because you do not know the truth but because you know it and because no lie is of the truth who is the liar that he made to us eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. So what's happening here is John is writing to a couple early churches, some house churches in the area, and he's warning them, saying, hey, there's these guys, and he calls them Antichrist. He said, there's these guys coming that are proclaiming lies, They're saying that Jesus is not the son of God. That Jesus was a good guy, taught some good stuff, was really kind to people, but not the son of God. You know, when we think antichrists, we think, you know, we go to like Revelation, the end of times, where it's like this really scary guy that's gonna come and it's gonna be bloodshed and all that stuff. But John talks about, in 1 John, about these antichrists. If you think of Christ, the Messiah, deliverer, person who gives us liberty and freedom, the antichrists that John talks about are the people who put us in bondage, who put us in depravity, who speak lies to us, And so John calls these people antichrists, and he contrasts them with the Christ, the one who speaks lies and which lies lead to bondage. And he says, by Jesus, you know, when you think about that, you're like, is it that bad that Jesus isn't the Son of God? Some of those questions were coming out. And he's saying, by Jesus not being the son of God means our sin was not taken on the cross. It means our redemption as sons has not been obtained at his resurrection. And we're forced back into being a slave to our sin. And in all reality, we deserve death. And he's saying to them, warning them, hey, these have, this, this thing that these people are saying have dire ramifications. And John is saying, don't listen to them. But I also think there's a message in there for us, too. That there are people and things, antichrists, that will come and they will speak lies to us. And so I've got three questions today because I'm a pastor and so I have to have three points. So I've got three questions today. The first question is this, what antichrists have been speaking to you? Or maybe what voices have you listened to that have led to more confinement, more bondage? And here's what you need to know. What you need to know about antichrists is a lot of time, a lot of the times, they mask themselves as Christ's, as someone who is coming to bring life, as something that is coming to give you life, and here's a, here's one that I have heard more than any in the last few years. One that I've heard from high school kids, people that I hang around with. I hear this one a lot. I feel, therefore, I am. I feel, therefore I am. What I feel is who I am. You know, I, I, I hear, I feel lonely. So I must not be loved enough for someone to care about. I feel anxious. So no one has an idea what will happen the rest of my life and no one cares. I feel angry. I know what's best and this isn't what it is. And here's the deal. These are honest feelings. They're sincere. They're authentic. They're vulnerable. And I'm not saying feelings are bad. I'm not saying that this idea that like we can't express our feelings or talk about what's really going on inside of us and I say that because I feel like, you know, growing up a decade or two ago, you didn't have a lot of feelings inside of the church. You didn't. You didn't have a lot of. Um, you weren't able to express what was really going on. I mean, it felt like, uh, I felt like you just had to kind of like put on a face at all times. You had to lie about what was really going on inside. and You're like, God's good. We're all good. Everything's good. You know, you kind of had your thumbs up at all times saying blessed and highly favored. You know, you would say, hey, how are you doing? You would say good. Then you would say how you are doing, good. And then you would just smile at each other until, the, until someone broke. And it was just kind of like that all the time. It, it kind of led to this a little bit of a fake Christianity a little bit. You didn't really know what was, how everybody felt. You just went straight to, well, you can't feel that way. And this is what the Antichrist said when I was growing up, is if you feel that way, then God's disappointed in you. Because how could you feel that way? Don't you know what God did? He would be disappointed if you felt those things. And so you couldn't have doubts. You couldn't have anything like that. But here's what's happened is I feel like it's almost swung the other way now. So now that, which I think is good, we get to talk about things that are going on inside of us. You know, I feel like the church has put an emphasis on mental health, which is a really good thing. But what I'll say is where there is redemption and freedom, I think the Antichrist is just lurking around the corner. He sees that that's good. And he says, how do I twist that? And so he tells us to trade firm, unwavering, steadfast truth for sincere, authentic, vulnerable honesty. He tells us to trade the two things. Because it's better to be, to talk about our feelings and talk about those things and, and that's where we stop. You know, the funny thing is, he tells us to look at scripture. He tells us to look at David in the Psalms and and David was lonely. David was afraid, he was anxious. He said, look, even that guy was that way. Look at that. He was authentic. He was vulnerable. He was honest. But if we let honest thoughts fester in our hearts, then we start making out God into someone who he's not. We start listening to the things that are honest and we stop listening to the things that are true. We pray for God to change circumstances. We forget to pray for God to change our heart. My son, Nolan, he's seven, about to be seven, a few weeks. I'll play with him all day, all day. Throw the ball, we'll do everything. Uh, We'll play out in the yard, we'll, we'll play checkers. He loves to play Yahtzee. We'll play all these things. And then the next day, you know, I'll have something to do or I'll be tired or something, And he'll say, hey, do you want to play again? I was like, hey, not right now, buddy. And he'll say, you never want to play with me. Y'all know that. Y'all have heard that maybe if you have kids. That might be how he feels, but it's not true. (laughs) That is not true. And so my second question is what do your honest thoughts reveal about the character of God? You see, because these thoughts they do something behind those things. They reveal something that we've started to believe inside of us if we let them keep going. You know, I feel lonely. We said that earlier. Well, then that must mean God must not be with me. I feel anxious. Well, that that must mean God doesn't have a plan for me. I feel angry. Well, then God must not know what is best for me? And just saying those things out loud, like that puts, a, that puts a gross taste on our mouth a little bit. But that's the truth behind these honest feelings. Those are the, the truths that w- we might start believing if we let those honest feelings and doubts fester inside of us. And it reminds me of when Jesus meets a Samaritan woman by the well. In John 4, we see that it says, A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. You see, the woman from Samaria comes to the well in the middle of the day because of this, some of her shady past. You know, you find on later down that she had had five husbands, and she's now living with a guy that isn't her husband. You know, she's the, she's the woman that the other women in her town are saying to their daughters, hey, you don't want to be like this woman one day. So she comes in the middle of the day when she knows no one will be at the well because she doesn't wanna have to deal with the stairs. She doesn't wanna have to deal with people talking behind her back. She wanna have to deal with the shame. She goes there in the middle of the day thinking, no one's gonna be there. I'm gonna get my water and go back. But Jesus was there. And Jesus didn't like step away when she got there. Jesus sat there and he didn't just sit there and watch her, but he asked her, hey, can you get me some water? My friends, they went off into town. Will you, can you give me some water? Samaritans didn't talk to Jews, first of all, let alone a Samaritan woman. And she goes, uh, you're gonna ask me? Do you know who I am? How could you ask me that? Some of those feelings coming out of I feel worthless, I feel used, I feel scared. How could you ask me for something like that? And then Jesus says, if you knew, if only you knew who I was, I would give you so much more than just this water. I would give you living water. Life, life to the full, life so much more than what you have right now. And so the question is what's the difference between her and us? What's the difference? And I want to go back to 1 John in verse 21. And he says this I write to you not because you do not know the truth, like the Samaritan woman, but because you know it. And because no lie is of the truth. The difference between her and us is we know the truth. We know it. We've been given this book, we have these people, we have a direct line to the Father. Guys, we have access to the truth at any point in time, more than any time in the history of the world. So my third question is, what truths do you have to combat those lies? Honest, sincere, authentic, but they're lies. What truths do you have to combat those lies? I talked about David a little bit earlier, and I want to read a couple of psalms to you real quick. Psalm 77. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. David. David. Authentic, sincere, honest. I feel like I'm alone. I feel troubled. What's going on? And it goes down to verse 13 and 14. It says, your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God. You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You with your arm, redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. I want to go to another one. Psalm 13, verse one. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Where are you, God? I feel like I haven't heard from you in forever. Am I here by myself? These are honest things. I feel like I've had those all the time. Especially the last couple of years, but if you go down to verse six, it says, "I will sing to the Lord because He has dealt bountifully with me." You see, if we just try to cover up the feelings and say, "Well, hey, we don't have them," or change our feelings, we just have the truth. We have to cling to the truth of the character of God not just change the honest feelings. We're gonna have those, we're humans. But in those, we have to cling to the truth of the character of God. And how do we do that? One is you have to know the truth. I feel like CIL, we've done a great job trying to get the truth in your hands, the Bible. I mean, Jesus did it in the desert. Don't you think we should probably do it? Memorize scripture, read it and know it, hide it in our heart. We got to know scripture. Second thing is we have to be in a group of people who remind us about the truth. If you're not in some small group, 242 group, men's group, women's group, something surrounded by people who are reminding you about the truth of the character of God you are easy pickings to the antichrist easy pickings you got to get into a group where people are reminding you about the character of God and then the fir- the third thing i would say is we have to listen to the holy spirit he's the one who reminds us about God has done in the past so that we can remember what he's gonna do for us in the future. And here's why. Here's why we need this. Because our world is looking for truth. Looking for truth now more than ever. And I know this because I deal with lost kids all the time. They turn on the TV and there's lies. They turn on their social media, there's lies. Everywhere there's lies. And they're just saying, hey, be the authentic you, be who you are, be the authentic self. But they're like, yeah, that's it. But like, is that true? When people watch us, when people look at us, seeing people who are free, who have liberty, who are walking with burdens off of them, light, or do we look overworked? Do we look anxious about our future? Who's going to be the next president? What's going to happen next week? What's going to happen with uh, this next round of code? Do we look anxious? Do we look angry around us and think, why isn't it the way that I want it? This isn't what I think it should be. Here's the deal. The world knows what it looks like to be imprisoned and in bondage and depraved because they live it every day? Why would they want to listen to us, a people who knows Jesus, if we act just like that, if we have those things inside of us that isn't pointing to truth? They live it every day. They're not going to look at us. They're going to go somewhere else. The world like the Samaritan woman, is looking for someone that will sit in their mess, that can be authentic, sincere, honest, but point to the truth. The world is looking for They're begging for it. And so we have to look at those things in our lives. I think the world tells us the best thing we have the best thing we have to offer is our authentic self, honest self. I would say that's good, but I, I would say it's not best. In First John, it says this, and this is the promise that He made to us: eternal life. The best thing that we have to offer to this world is the truth of eternal life. The truth of where we can find living water. And I would say, let's live our lives like that. True, sincere, authentic, honest selves that points to the truth of the character of God that leads to eternal life.